It's a presentation of The Hockey Shop, source for sports story, thehockeyshop.com. Really excited about this episode of In Goal Radio, the podcast. Our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina. Sensorina VR is a great guy, a great ambassador for the position. J.S. Shiger, you spend any time around Jean-Sebastian and you will walk away going, that was cool, that was fun, uh, he's engaged, and he loves talking about goaltending, and he spent a number of years uh, in and around the National Hockey League and uh, changed the position. Uh, you could uh, certainly make a case for that. And we'll also head over to the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com, and Cam is back, and we're talking about sticks, but uh, a little bit of a twist on that. As we slide over to the mainland and Vancouver Island, the co-founders of Ingle Magazine, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. Hutch, what's going on in your world, buddy? I feel like we're sort of playing catch up now. I think we've yeah. had had a few crazy weeks there coming out of the holidays, and now it, it feels almost normal. So, you know, following the kid around doing the hockey thing and getting to watch a bunch of NHL games finally, watching a lot more junior hockey games now. So I feel like I'm just sort of getting into that early season flow, and here it is in January. When you watch practice at the major junior level, are you just watching the goalies? It just defaults to that? Not just because your kid's playing goal, but... I'm sort of like that with practices, and I'm sort of like that with games. I'm I'm blue paint. I'm blind to the rest of the game. It's amazing. We'll come out of a game, and people will make comments about, this team was doing that, that team was doing this. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't even notice it. Like, Yeah. I could not be an assistant coach in hockey. I can help goaltenders. I, but as soon as you get into everything else that's happening on the ice, I'm blind to it. And I, I try, I try, but then my eyes just go right back to the crease. That's great to hear because I've, I've had to actually train myself uh, when I'm working a game to consciously watch the entire game and not just focus on the, on the goaltender. If I'm just catching up on, on highlights, uh, I let myself uh, have a little bit of leeway, but watching a game, I, I have to, it's a focused decision to watch the entire game. Woodley, uh, you work for NHL.com. That's uh, is the same situation? Yeah, I mean, I obviously got to watch the game to cover the game, but I find myself drawn more to the goaltending to the point where sometimes I need the help of, thankfully, the National Hockey League sets us up with uh, unlocked NHL TV accounts. So sometimes I got to hit those replays because I was watching the goalie too closely and didn't see you know, whether it was the pass or the screen or something that led to the goal, right? It's kind of, it's funny because that's, we've had these conversations with goalie coaches over the years, right? Like, where is a goal scored? It's not usually on the shot in terms of a goalie making a mistake or getting behind to play. It's usually you have to rewind it one or two passes before where there's an inefficiency in their movement or a mistake in a read that's led to them maybe not getting there and getting set and getting square and getting scored on. So just nice to have the rewind button and the ability to watch it again outside of... I'd be... Let's put it this way. After all these years covering in the NHL, like this is 21 seasons, I would be in big trouble covering junior hockey because I wouldn't be afforded the same replays. I'd be in trouble. I actually had the privilege of sitting in the press box uh, once with Kevin a number of years ago and maybe can give just the regular guy perspective that you two who are lucky enough to do this all the time don't get. And that's what an eye opener it was for me when I was sitting up there so high above the ice uh, it really is a completely different perspective on the game one that you can imagine but i think until you actually sit there and see it you don't appreciate how much better a view of the game itself that you get and i would actually say as much as i 
joke a little bit here about staring completely at the blue ice guys. Um, I have changed where I like to stand to watch games. I used to be that dad who wanted to be down at ice level near his kids, see everything he's doing. And now just about any game I go to, I'm up in the top, you know, the top tier of, of the rink so that I'm able to get a better perspective of what's happening in the game as a whole. I just find I have to pay uh, so much attention to play development uh, because that hinges on the, the 30 seconds before a goal yeah. uh, has such a bearing on on what happens. And that's obvious, but soaking that in and absorbing it and recognizing it instead of just the goalie movements is something is is where I've I've had to change the way I, I, I watch a game. I think it's actually really good advice. Like, again, sometimes maybe I'm the guy who gets to talk to the goalie parents and the young goalies uh, when we're talking here. But I do think it's good advice is to try and learn some of that from from a young age. I think I was the kid that uh, maybe I, I zoned out a little bit when the coach was talking at the board in practice or. I decided that, uh, you know, that simple puck movement around the zone as he tried to teach systems was a little bit boring and I would zone out and, and I didn't learn as many of the nuances of the game as a youngster as I think I should have. And I think it's really useful to see those, um, plug for our friends at sense arena, cause you can get in there and you can look at different power yeah. plays and how they develop and so on. So there's a good chance to learn there. Um, but I do think those are important as you're growing up and to really understand the game. It's fun to see. Uh, my kid is he's coming back from junior practices now and is able to tell me, oh, my team needs to do this. We need to do that because he's learning these systems in a way that he hasn't before. Um, and I think if you can start learning them at a young age, it's a good idea. So start taking a different view. Speaking of parents and speaking to parents with young goaltender such, have I told you that the CCM eFlex 4.9 gear is 40% off at the hockey shop and the hockey shop.com right now? We've talked about some of the sales over the last little while. This one went right over my head, uh, but still lots of inventory left in the 4.9 and 4.5. So especially for kids or beer leaguers, um, would certainly cl- would certainly be good enough to play at that level. Uh, they have got a ton of gear still left on sale, 40% off. One of the sales that's carried over from Boxing Day. We've talked a little bit about Vaughn SLR2 at 20% off, Warrior G5 at 20% off, those Warrior Ritual V1 sticks 30, 30% off, and he's got a whack load of those. Cam's got them all ordered. But man, 40% off on the Eflex 4.9 gear. That's like, you know, some of this stuff is like 250 bucks off a set of pads. 280 bucks off on on the 4.9 intermediate leg pad. So if your kid's looking for fresh gear, uh, looking to save some bucks as a parent, definitely check them out at the hockey shop and thehockeyshop.com. Woody, with prices like that, you could have warm-up gear and game gear. Don't give me any ideas, boys. Just hold on, guys. We, we've got our warm-up shots are done. We need a minute while Woodley goes and changes out his pads. Well, you want those fresh ones that give off those hard rebounds for the game, Woody. So you need another set. You guys make jokes, but Yaroslav Halak has a set of practice pads that he only wears in practice so he can keep his game once fresh. I live with a kid who's going to start doing and that. clean. Oh, the SLR2 Chesty. Yes, I've, been, I've, I've had my hand over the click button to buy it a couple of times because it's, it's on sale uh, at the hockey shop, the hockey shop uh, uh, source for sports, sorry. It's, it's, it's been there. It is the the SLR two Pro Carbon regular seven nineteen Canadian yeah. folks Canadian so yeah. for our American friends that's a lot less with your your dollar that's worth so damn much five seventy five that's twenty percent off and then the uh, the Pro Senior so not the Carbon um, Senior Chest Protector only three fifty nine Canadian normally four fifty so 
Yeah, lots of sales on right now. So that's a good deal for me. Hockeyshop.com. Good. De- that's carbon? a good deal for you, especially because you, you're you're down there in Vegas where your dollar's worth like so much. Like what is it? Like a buck and a quarter right now? Yeah. Don't yeah. make me do math in my head, but that thing's pretty much like for you. That's like. F- 45% off pretty much. Hey, you guys, uh, you guys mentioned like going over to the, like paying attention to the whiteboard hutch, uh, a, a little bit more when the coach is doing it. Uh, when I'm in practice, I, I stand there, I sort of look at the whiteboard, but I'm, I'm not really paying attention. What the coaches do because they know me, they, they know I'm not exactly the brightest bulb in the world. They come over after the whiteboard and they tell me where the shots are going to come from. There you go. Uh, beforehand. Just stop the they, buck they, they double down on it that's how much i'm paying attention so uh it's good to hear that i'm not the only one that's not really dialed into the whiteboard and i should be but at least the coaches recognize i used to joke it I'm, sounds like charlie brown's teacher want 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 stop the puck but do the guys come over and then tell you where it's going to go in no <laughs> no i actually asked a, a couple of players the other day uh leaving leaving a scrum like leaving around the whiteboard and this is again where my focus is and it's not exactly where it should be but i if i asked a couple of uh, veteran players so should where should i go to the net and they just looked at me with this blank <laughs> face on going uh yeah you moron <laughs> hey speaking of knowing where it's going one of the best practical jokes guys uh was played on one of our billets uh evan de Brower, who's now playing for bentley and he's on the uh watch list for the mike richter award oh, yeah, this he's year. awesome yeah and uh, he got a new set of pads when he was living with us. And all the guys on his team, the Nanaimo Clippers and the BCHL, they all got together before the practice and they said, anybody who hits Evan in the left pad gets a fine. So he's got his brand new gear. He goes out there for practice and they would only mark up one of his beautiful new pads. No yeah, way. Great, great prank. That's pretty cool. I, I like that. That. It's a lot of thought for skaters to put into it. Like they're not the smartest bunch in the well, world. And they so pro- they probably uh, missed the net every time because they were trying to figure out which side it was they were allowed to hit on the way down. Yeah. But okay, here's here's the ultimate though in that was who who had more puck marks or which pad the left or the right because well, they're all aiming at they're all aiming at the right. But did the left end up with more puck marks? I'll uh, I'll, I'll <laughs> message Evan today and find out. <laughs> uh, we had a couple of uh, number retirements in the National Hockey League. Uh, pretty emotional, uh, and uh, we had, uh, of course, Pekka Rene is uh, is is on the way, and then that's going to be so cool. But uh, but Henrik Lundqvist, uh, along with Sergei Zubov, uh, with the, with the Dallas Stars, uh, had their numbers retired. Uh, Pekka uh, is is that got that tie to the community and Henrik Lundqvist, a tie to a city. And you could really feel that Woody uh, during the course of that ceremony. Yeah, that was emotional to watch and just, I just special, right? Special for a special player, a special goaltender who had a special bond to his community, to the city of New York, right? You don't, you don't get a nickname like the King for nothing, right? Like there's just a bond there. He, I don't know. He just captured the imagination of that city in, in a way that hockey players don't, always managed to do in New York, right? Like it's not the top of the list in terms of sporting there with the Yankees and with NFL and, but Lundquist was, so it was, it was really cool to watch. Can't wait to catch up with them here in the very near future for, for the Ingle radio podcast and sort of walk through some of those emotions uh, and the career that led to it. And we had, interesting enough, we had a story up on the site uh, this week, you know, for all the stories we've written and when he retired, when, 
it became official that he couldn't play anymore and wasn't going to play anymore. We we had a three-part series on all the different ways that he affected goalies in Sweden, what made him special on the ice uh, in terms of like the career achievements and the equipment. The one we never looked at was, are we ever, and we did it this week, are we ever going to see another one like him? And it sort of came from the idea, the idea came from a conversation I had with Cam Talbot way back when he was with the Rangers. So that's like eight years ago. And just sort of talking about, working with Benny and, you know, learning from Henrik and yet you don't play anything like, like you're not on your goal line. You're not working from your goal line out and you don't play like Hank. And Talbot just said like, nobody can play like Hank. And it got me thinking like, you know, we have guys that play on their goal line, like Mike Smith, you know, similar philosophy, um, you know, learned it from Sean Burke, who also played that way, who learned it from Benoit Lair, who teaches taught Hank to play that way. And yet those guys are all massive. Like Sean was considered a massive goalie in his era. Um, Mike Smith is huge. Like Henrik did it different. Like Henrik did it on his edges, patient and up at six foot one. And I think that might've been a generous listing. So the way he played, the way he innovated equipment, inside edge, high sharpening. I don't know how many guys use that um, in the NHL. Uh, the way he worked with Bauer to get the pads active, like he was the one that as part of the testing process, they were trying to kill rebounds with the Odin project, make them die on the pad. And when they couldn't, he's like, well, make them pop. That's what I want. Um, you know, just all kinds of the Lundquist loop, like his name's in the rafters at MSG, but it will also live on forever in the goalie equipment world for the Lundquist loop. So you know, how many goalies wear their pads totally differently because Henrik Lundquist started that trend. So I just think, you know, like, Beyond the career achievements and where he ranks all time there, like I think there's a uniqueness to him, and maybe this the relationship with the city of New York should be counted in there too. That you know, I think it's a fair argument. We may never see another one quite like him. Do we know the origin of the Lundquist loop? Like why he started, how he started it, what generated it? What did the first Lundquist loop ever look like on on the back of his skate? How, how he how he did it? How he figured it out and he put skate laces around his, his boot to, to just make it the, the first time before it ever became like stitched on and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we do actually, and at ingoldmag.com, we actually went through photos from Getty images and nailed the exact game where it first appeared. And mm. so if you check out that story, so there's, there's sort of two parts to this. One is, Henrik didn't want the bootstrap going through the bottom of his skates. Why? He won because it, pulled, it was always designed to pull the skate down snug over the top of your skate so you could feel that connection. That was sort of the origin of the bootstrap. He didn't want it there because he didn't want his pads pulled down. He was one of the guys, he's like, let's not forget when he came into the league in his TPS pads, there was like, I was told at one point that thigh rise was like plus four. Like it was a big <laughs> thigh rise. And so he played so low and wide and sort of having the pads slam shut from that wide stance. Um, and his stance narrowed over the years. We talked about that patience on the edges. But he wanted the pad as it was chopped down due to the sizing chart. He wanted more of it to fill that five hole. Like he didn't want the pad pulled down. When he dropped, he wanted it to pop up. And so he didn't put the bootstrap through the bottom of the skate. And if you look at the photos from 2008 until I think it was 2011, that strap just hung loose from the pads, just hung loose over the back heel of his skate. Mm. Like it wasn't anywhere. And I guess it was, according to 
guys who I think it was Marty Biron telling me because he was with him at the time, it it just it got annoying. And so it was actually on a road trip out here uh, to the West Coast. He did not have a strap in Vancouver. And when you go and look at the footage or the photos from the Calgary game, the strap is there. And it really speaks. And so he presented, he was one of the guys that presented a gift for Henrik uh, at his retirement ceremony, Cass Marquez, the longtime equipment manager of the New York Rangers. That relationship, like that, that's a significant moment in the retirement ceremony because that relationship with Cass is a massive part of the innovation. I've been in the locker room. I was in the locker room with Cass and Henrik uh, in Vancouver where he was tinkering with, remember with the... Um, the knee uh, stacks with, that had the top edge, the corner cut off, so that they yes, would. Yes, yes. Yeah, like I was in there as they were experimenting with that, and Henrik on, you know, like Steve Valiquet described seeing it the same thing for years, where he's in his butterfly and they're looking at the pads and seeing how it fits and seeing if there's any holes that they can see visually. Like they work together to nail Henrik's equipment because it was very important to his game and part of his foundation. And so not just the bootstrap um, there, you know, there's other elements there that he did differently. We know about the practice glove that presented nice and open, you know, it's, for a couple of years there, he, he couldn't close it. He caught a puck and he would turn it up like a waiter holding a tray, right. To keep that puck in the pocket. Um, but all the different things that they innovated, you know, even one of the ones is nylon straps. Um, you know, in an era of leather and leather buckles, long before nylon came to retail, I remember seeing Henrik Lundqvist in the locker room and noticing that his straps were like fabric loops and nylon straps with Velcro on them, like almost homemade way before that became common, uh, in the goaltending on a retail manufacturing side. And so again, just to cut weight and make it easier to get it on. The only strap that was left by 2011, I think you can even see it. I think he's got nylon and plastic buckles in 2011. But at one point, we he even lost the plastic buckle, got rid of the plastic buckle. So he was a true innovator. Uh, and and Valaket, Biron, uh, Kevin Weeks all talked to us about this for the story that's up at ingolmag.com. Uh, he innovated on the equipment side, things that I think we take for granted. We all know the Lundqvist loop, but there are other things that he was a big part of changing uh, around the game and in terms of how goalies wore their equipment. There are a lot of goalies now that have their pads sitting up higher um, that I, I'm not sure. Somebody maybe would have come up with the idea eventually, but it's not a coincidence. Hendrick was the first. That's outstanding. And uh, that's over at inglemag.com. Uh, check it out. And uh, the the origins uh, of the loop and then all the different uh, variations of the equipment. Uh, we had another uh, Michigan goal, uh, lacrosse goal, uh, Trevor Zegras uh, making it happen. Are, are we at the point now, uh, Hutch? Like, do do you think goaltenders at every uh, high level, major, junior, college, uh, professional, have to take that into consideration when somebody goes behind the net? Is it part of your thinking, or is it still uh, a specialty? I would pretty much guarantee every goaltender at a decent level has already got it part of their thinking now, and that they can see that situation where it might happen. And that they're getting ready for it. Have they all figured out the way they're going to defend it? Uh, I doubt it. They probably have some some good ideas in mind. We're probably going to see a whole lot of uh, goaltenders at uh, Instagram goalie sessions working on their newest ways to defend the uh, the Michigan in the next little while here. Um, probably should be spending more time working on their skating and their movement and not so much those little details. But 
Um, I don't like to criticize all that stuff as much as everybody else, guys, because I also think there's a point to having fun and being creative when you're out there on the ice a little bit, not just uh, being robots going through your movements. So some of you want to go do that, uh, go have some fun and innovate and, and change the game. I think it's absolutely part of it. Uh, I love the one that we saw this week just because it was uh, done completely in stride. It's uh, it's pretty easy now to read the situation where it might come from with a guy stationary behind the net and you can sort of see the motion he might be taking. Uh, this one was a, a different level of creativity. I don't want to say unseen because I'm sure it has been, but, but it was uh, definitely a, another level of skill. Loved the quote last night, though, from Jonathan Huberto, who at least claimed he can't do the Michigan, so he decided he'd fake one in the game and, and get a goal out of that last <laughs> night or get a great assist out of it. Um, I kind of wonder whether he's doing the double reverse fake out here, and he probably can do it, and he's trying to tell all the goalies in the NHL he can't, so don't worry about it. Um, too much skill with that that player. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's. I, I think it's fantastic. Look, we got We got to have innovation in the game uh, from both sides, and that's what makes it progress. Nobody will ever play like Henrik again, I guess, but I think we're probably going to find somebody in the next few years who's playing a different way than we ever imagined, and it's going to be great to see how the game progresses over the next 10 years. Interestingly enough, I had to write this article when Svechnikov did it a couple times in 2019 and talked to a bunch of different goalies because you know exactly what's going to happen as soon as we have a goal like that. The just stand-up crowd gets louder, yeah. right? Like they, they blame the reverse VH. And so I went around and talked to a bunch of goaltending coaches about that. And like the key is recognizing that it's coming early and sort of using your windows and making sure you have good eyes so that you can react to it. Now, you a good RVH, you can still react up and cover that. Um, so that, you know, a, the idea of abandoning the RVH was sort of poo-pooed by a lot of the goal, not just the goalie coaches, but the goalies. I remember talking to Cam Talbot about it you know, the concept that, hey, now if this becomes common, we better, you know, we better not, we better get out of the RVH. And his exact words were, to me, that's too risky because then a smart player like him or anyone else, they're just, they're just not going to pick it up on their stick and they're going to jam it between your legs. So, you know, it already happened. David Rich in that same season, he got, he got beat by Svechnikov in 2019 on, on a lacrosse, on a Michigan. And then in the same year, Duclair faked it on his blocker side, then tried to wrap it around. And that's Jordan Sigalette. I remember talking to him about this and he's like, they, they've talked about it a lot. Um, talking about how they can do things better. And it's like, it's all about getting your head around and recognizing what's coming early. If you default to one thing or another, you know, that's where you can get caught. You know, I'm going to stay up because I see it coming and the guy's going to go the other way. And so, you know, a guy like, guy like Riddich has already sort of seen that where, where he got caught with one, Got caught with one Michigan by Svechnikov, and another player tried to bait him with by faking a Michigan and wrapping it on the other side. And so, if he had just stood up there, he might have been a victim of of an even uglier looking goal. Because we're tipping our hats to the Michigan, but yeah. that guy jams it in along the ice because you're standing up. You're probably not going to hear the end of it. Have you seen the Instagram video of the big Russian goaltender with the oversized pads, and he talks about defending the Michigan? I'll, I'll I'll send it to you guys and we can we can forward it to everybody. It's a parody, so just know that. And he 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 talks about defending it, and he's this massive person in front of this this net, and he just stands there. Today we're gonna defend the uh, the lacrosse goal, the Michigan goal, and the person does it and just hits him in the chest. <laughs> he's just standing <laughs> up. It's uh it's quite interesting. Uh, our buddy Darren Pang sent it to me, so I'll I'll forward it. A, 
uh, over to Darren you. Darren Payne um, could not do it that way. No, no, no. <laughs> and uh, I think that was that was part of his uh, his point on it too. But it was it was well done, and it it speaks to the stand up uh, chance as well. Uh, but it also has a, has a little bit of uh, tongue in cheek humor uh, with it. So there there's the that side of it. Uh, also defending like it it the the most recent one came comes to team defense and there wasn't any of that pressure uh, on Zegris and that's way more on on, on the Montreal uh, Canadiens. So that's a conversation that I know talking to goalie coaches like it becomes a like a Systems. sort of system and structure like that the goalie can't be the only one looking for it that right. the defensemen need to be looking for cuz defensemen I mean think of the reach you have with a stick like if you see that guy coming around, you could be like three or four feet away from the net and just reach over and sort of like it's not easy to keep that thing on your stick no. while it's elevated. So all it takes is sort of a, a waving stick to knock it off. And Svechnikov's tweet saying, uh, I wonder who will do it next. Uh, coming back to Zegras uh, is a pretty good indication that uh, that he's going to be hunting it to try and make it happen. And I'm sure that will be part of all the the team meetings Way before you play the the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, hey, uh, you got to hang out with Cam over at the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com, a source for sports Surrey. Well, you know what? We were talking about those Warrior, the the V1 sticks that he had and 30% off. And he had, like, they're going fast, but he had over 400 of them. And it led me to think, like, you know, different paddle lengths, fitting paddle lengths. So I was in the store the other day and I've been experimenting with paddle length myself, both for the practice warm up stick and for the game stick. I knew because I knew that was coming, smart asses. Um, so I decided to ask Cam how to fit. How do we fit paddle length? How does paddle length compare from one brand to the next? Because interestingly enough, Warrior, you know, their their numbers are different, right? Like their 26 is not the same as a 26 in Bauer, CCM, and True. So what do you do when you have questions like that? When you're not sure what paddle length you should be using, how it affects whether you should be measuring in your stance, whether you should be measuring when you're in the butterfly, uh, which brand is going to fit differently and feel differently in your stance or in your hands. We go to the experts. We went to camp. All right. So we came to the conclusion that I need, or I mean, roughly a 26 inch paddle. Now the question becomes, we fitted me in a Bauer cam. Yes. What's the difference? We got, we got your four sticks here. We got a Warrior, we got a Bauer, we got CCM, and we've got True. What, like, give me the comparison. If we line them all up, a 26 inch Bauer, let's start with CCM. 26 inch Bauer to a 26 inch CCM. The good news is, we have what is an equivalent measurement, as long as we're using the same equivalent curve. So P31 in Bauer, P4, the old Crawford in a CCM, 26 to 26, lines up. True. True. 26 to Bauer, 26. MC2. That's their, the curve. Their curve that's similar to the Crawford in P31. Lines up. 26. Yeah, Someone's getting hacked in the face. 26, 26. All right. Now, last but not least, and yet certainly most difficult, Warrior. Let's line it up. Let's see what the, let's, first let's line oh, yeah. it up. Well, you have the Bauer in your hand. There you go. Not that smart, am I? Okay. So this lines up to the 26 inch Bauer. However, there's only one problem. It is a 27 and a half. 
Warrior throws things off a little bit here, folks, but it's really easy to figure out. It's basically take an inch and a half off. Well, for this measurement, just consider all their sticks one step down versus a bower. So if you're bower 26, you need, sorry, one step up. So bower 26, you need a 27 and a half. Bower 25, you need a warrior 26. Now this applies for their W33, their twist curve, um, which will line up with a bower P31. T, 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 T. We're gonna get into all the curves in part two of this video, just like we did with the glove brakes. We're gonna explain to you how to compare across brands, curve, lie, how everything sits. Today's all about paddle length, so focusing on that. True, CCM, Bauer, all line up. A 26 is a 26 is a 26. Warrior, it's a 27 and a half. And as you step down, you have to adjust accordingly. Correct. Cam, thanks for getting us set up with a stick that fits my ugly stance, as you called it, ah. properly. Um, folks, if you want to do the same, if you want to get the same advice, make sure you come to the people that know here at The Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com. Get fitted properly, and that means not wearing sneakers. Put on your skates, get your stance set up, and get a stick that's going to work for you. Thanks, Cam. Thank you. Okay, quick programming note there. Obviously, that was just a shortened clip. All we did was compare the paddle length of the different brands. Just felt that the full video maybe didn't work all that best in this podcast format. A lot of visuals as Cam and I swapped different paddle lengths and he had me set up in my stance and showed me sort of on my knees, in my standing stance, how they evaluate paddle length. So make sure you go check out the full video at ingolmag.com. It's right below the episode. You can check it out on our YouTube. We'll have it up on Instagram TV, IGTV as well, Facebook. All our regular outlets will have the full video with the entire process of how Cam would fit you for paddle length, as well as that little segment at the end where we sort of pull out the different brands and really give you a visual and a comparison of how they're going to look and how they're going to fit. Awesome stuff. It's fascinating. Uh, it's it's changed so much from lie 13 to a lie 15 and uh, where your stance was to now uh, paddle length. And, and Hutch, uh, let's go over to you on this because Maddie's grown through the young Maddie, uh, who's now uh, knocking on the door of his major junior career here and spending some time with the, the Vancouver Giants after being drafted. Um, how How have you guys fit his paddle length as he's grown and gone through d different spurts when you make it specific to him the question becomes a little bit different i guess uh, but maybe it leads into something that we were talking about offline here guys and and that's that when he was younger um i did like many parents and i just wanted to get him into the biggest paddle i could get him into and whether that was because you sort of felt like your kid was big if you got something big for him i think that is actually a goalie parent fault uh, or whether that was feeling like you're taking up a little bit more net or he can stand a little bit taller um, in his stance. I'm, for whatever reason, he's been using a 26-inch paddle for as long as I can remember. Really? Yeah, and it, ha it just hasn't changed. He's, he's grown and grown and grown, and it stayed at a 26-inch paddle, when, which I think is where it belongs right now. Um, we... We've mentioned on the podcast before at Eli Wilson's day with Kerry Price up in Kelowna uh, one summer, we saw Kerry working through iterations of sticks actually in half inch iterations, I think 25, 25 and a half, 26, and he might have gone to 26 and a half, I can't remember, just because he was experimenting with using something that's a little bit smaller. And 
we have noticed a bit of a trend just as we talk to coaches as we're we're moving around in the summers and so on uh and and other goaltenders that there there's a bit of a trend towards sizing smaller paddles now with the idea that you really only make stick saves down in the butterfly uh we might you know you and i darren grew up thinking that we have to cover all the holes while we're standing up because that's how we made a lot of saves um, but now you virtually never make a save with your stick while you're standing up. And so having that correct size when you're down in the butterfly, I think is important. Um, of course, if the paddle is too long, then in order to keep your stick on the ice where it needs to be, you open up holes between the arms and the body, or the stick is way too far out in front, ramping pucks up as they hit you, uh, as they hit the stick, uh, in a dangerous way. So, um, that seems to be a bit of a trend. Uh, I think it's awesome having all those tips that uh, that Cam brought forward in the segment. People should absolutely pay attention to, I think, um, you know, the concept, of course, of of having your your skates on when you're sizing your stick in your stance or or almost any gear uh, is important. Um, you know, a stick is such a big investment, guys. Like, if you're getting a pro model at $300, $350 Canadian for for a pro stick, uh, you, you can't just sort of hit click and order one and see if it works out. Um, maybe like we used to when we pulled it off the rack at Canadian Tire uh, back in our day, Darren. I love you for mentioning that. You know, videos like Cam and Woody put together here today. And let's not forget just that opportunity to call Cam anytime you want and just ask questions about, about what you're going through and, and hopefully uh, get into the hockey shop when you're in Vancouver so that you can try a bunch of these sticks and really see what you get comfortable with. And the other part, we talked about the different fitting. Obviously, Warrior sort of being the one that, that jumps out with different numbers. Um, you know, a 27 and a half paddle in Warrior is about the equivalent of a 26 in all the other brands, CCM, True, and Bauer. Uh, we're going to get into it next week. We're going to sort of do a part two here, and we'll talk about curves, right? Like, what is the P31 curve in Bauer? What's the equivalent or the closest to uh, in CCM, in True, in Warrior, some of the different options there. And again, the idea being, you're right, Hutch, this is a really expensive investment. And so as you try different brands, um, or if you experiment with paddle length based on that video and maybe wanting to be more cognizant of where your stick is when you're in the butterfly, because when you were younger, somebody fit you standing upright in your stance, um, I, I think you know it, it's also important to understand if, if you experiment with different brands, like, you know, what's the equivalent? Like what, I like this curve. I like this heel curve. I like this sort of mid curve. What is it? What is it in? If I want to try a different brand, what's the equivalent? What's the name on there? What's the, uh, what's the pattern number? So I can make sure I get the same one. Cause that can affect how you feel about a stick as well. So, uh, look forward to that with cam next week. He's going to have charts and sort of walk us through, you know, the common ones, um, that you can get at retail. And then what the equivalent is in all the other brands. I think we'll use Bauer as a staple, just as we used CCM uh, for our 580, 590, and 600 glove break article. You know, I think when it comes to composite sticks, Bauer sort of set the standard early. And then I remember Cam Ward with a composite stick like early in his career. And so we'll we use them for the fitting this week, and we'll use them for you know sort of the the examples of what pattern to look for next week. Hey, one question, Woody, when you do that video next week. Can you make sure that you distinguish between the game stick and the net is yeah. empty at the other end stick, which curve to use? And, and oh. I, I actually mean that in all seriousness. Yeah, no, there's there's an empty net stick yeah. uh, theory. Yeah, like, and, and, and I know, and you've brought that up, and you can tell that story, Woody, but uh, 
having those understanding the characteristics of what those curves do for you when you're playing the puck, I think is really important. Yeah, you know, no, absolutely. Cam's got it dialed down to like basically where the puck is on the blade when you shoot based on the different patterns. Like they're designed to sort of have it sitting in a certain area when you shoot, like when you release more it. towards the heel, more towards the middle, more towards the toe. And so there's preferences Ooh. there that we'll, you'll be able to relate to um, as we walk through all the different patterns. Jokes aside, it was Alex Stalock that said he was considering adding an empty net stick for late in the game, something that would help him get it up in the air and over the four checkers if he ever had that chance. Smart. I don't know which video it fits in with, but the other thing to maybe talk about at some point, Kevin, would be uh, the rounded toe versus the square toe. Yeah, and uh, we've had that conversation with Kerry over yep. the years as he's switched. You know, square toe gets him up against the boards to stop rims a little better. Um, I think that's what you see most commonly now at retail, but all part of this conversation on sort of, we move from paddle length to stick blades, patterns, and all the different options you can choose there. What do you guys prefer, rounded or square? I've always been a bit square. Mikey, yeah, Maddie switched to a square toe recently just again. Now that he's reached that level where he's got to get out there in a hurry to stop the rims. Two round pegs and a square hole. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, guys, we have our feature interview with J.S. Jaguer. And J.S. is right, he's a great junior and then was drafted by like Hartford Whalers mm-hmm. going back. The original Hartford Whaler, I believe. Yeah, and and then changed the game. Like, really had an impact in in how the position was played, and in a blocking style. But uh, he he worked with uh, uh, with Frankie uh, Alaire so much, which you will hear in this interview with with David. But uh, a, a fascinating individual who I think uh, uh, is is we don't appreciate his athleticism as much as as we should, and certainly his his mindset and the the thoughts uh, that that went into the positioning uh, both tactically and and with equipment hutch i'm sure you'll hear in there that i was trying to get him to dig into the athleticism a little bit but he's um perhaps too modest to really talk about that and he he himself brought everything back to to the block but what i loved about it was that this is a very tangible example of how not everybody can play goal the same way. We talked about Henrik Lundqvist playing in a very particular way. Nobody else is going to play like Jiggy, and he couldn't play a, a different style. He, I, I'm sure I heard him somewhere make the point that, uh, you know, of all his siblings, he thought that he was the least athletic in the family, and all it got him was a Stanley Cup and a Conn Smythe trophy. Um, that ability to play the game in a way that suits your style is so important for a goaltender to recognize and really important for a coach to recognize so that you're not trying to fit all of your goaltenders into the same mold. That ability of Frankie to uh, to innovate the game and to innovate along with JS um, was was so important. Well, we talked about Henrik changing the game for equipment. So did those two, yep. Jaguar and Allaire, um, to the point where the NHL had to do take yeah. a bunch of the things that they were doing that were all legal within the rules. They were just they were using them to their to their advantage in new and unique ways that nobody else was to the point where the NHL had to cancel a bunch of them by making rule changes and and it's interesting like because we never really said this but I'm actually a little surprised that the NHL hasn't done this to some of the innovations that Henrik did like in terms of like the intention of the pad sizing rule 
was to create a pad that only went so far up your leg. And he, they've goalies have found new ways to wear them that allow them to go higher based within those rules. And so the NHL sort of put a lot of those, they, you know, the horse was out of the barn. They put, they put some of them back in, uh, with Frankie and Jiggy around 2004, 2005, but the way they did so left some flexibility in terms of how goalies wear their pads that allowed them to have them sit higher and wear them higher up the leg. I remember you telling me a story of an AHL, NHL goaltender reading about some of those innovations in Ingle, Kevin, making some changes to how he wore his gear and getting his wings clipped a little bit by the NHL. Remember that one? Danny Taylor. Oh, yeah, he was always pushing the the bounds because of some of the things that he'd seen that were being used here at Ingle. And and I think some of it got cut back on as a result. Now, did Danny Taylor, was he not the like the steel? Yeah, he was the step steel guy, which was, again, the well, I don't want to get into it too much, but that was absurd because it was more about the appearance, right? Like step steel looked crazy. He was wearing them on old Reebok low profile cowling. So this the step extreme steel looks so tall. But the reality is all he had to do was switch to a standard step steel in a Bauer cowling compared to his old school Reebok cowlings. And he got the exact same height and the exact same clearance, if not a little bit more. And so there, the extreme step steel was made illegal. But the truth was there were already other brands that created the same. There was never a rule about the height and clearance and the advantages of that. And now we've got brands that have holders that are so high they would make the step extreme steel on Danny's old skates look miniature. Like they would, they're way taller, way better attack angle. None of which is illegal, but Danny's step steel because it looked so different was, was made illegal. So yeah, it's, it, it is fascinating. And even on the pad height thing, like a lot of goalies said, you can't tell us how to wear it. Um, but to me, the way to have maybe done it differently would have been to, Instead of creating a maximum pad height for each guy and then allowing them to do whatever they wanted within that pad height, if you created a maximum based on the measurement of their knee to thigh, if you created a, which is one of the three measurements, if you created a maximum thigh rise above the knee stack, then goalies, because as they move their pads around and how they fit, they also move the knee stack because everybody wants to land on the knee because if you don't, you pop a groin. So if you fixed how much for each goalie could be above that knee stack, I think you would have had a better chance of reining in. Because we've got goalies now who have pads that fit within their limits, but you make the boot steeper, you change how it sits on the skate, and that thing's sitting two or three inches higher than intended based on the measurements. And I think with a different type of measurement or, or the way you instituted those rules, you could maybe put that horse back in the barn as well. I am now waiting for the doorbell to ring for the goalie union to come and take away my card for having shared that publicly. I'm screwed. Yeah, I disagree. I actually think that there shouldn't be individual pad sizing. So, but we could go way down a long rabbit hole here, guys. One of the things that really impressed me about Jiggy, and I know you would alerted me to this a little bit woody was the attention to detail on the gear not just in terms of an overall innovation but every single day making sure that it worked for the game and i asked him actually after the interview um about some of this i wish i'd kept it recording but i i did a a one more question like woody likes to do after the one more question after the one more question and, and and you know what? It works. Yeah. Oh no, like, it's brilliant. What he's credit, like there's there's something in oh, that. Oh no, that's why it we, should we be make fun of him, sure. but he gets stuff out no of it. No question. And 
and I asked him, I said, I heard, um, through, through Kevin and, and I think it was Alex all that, that there'd be times when Francois would get in there with a stick and just sort of poke at the holes when you were trying to seal up that block. Is that true? And he said, it wasn't occasionally, it was every single day before practice. It might've been a stick. It might've been a puck he was trying to jam through, but he wanted to know that my gear was ready and working every single practice. And was the pad stiff enough that it could withhold that poking and prodding, for example? Was I sealing the way I needed to seal both from a, just like you have to practice your skating skills to make sure that they're sharp and on point at all, at all times, is that blocking position able to cover all those holes and in a sharp on point way without thinking about it, which was one of the themes of the interview, I think. Wow. That's cool. Like the way that, uh, that he would push and prod and poke and jab, just trying to make I, sure I, that the gear was I've, there. I've seen Alex Ald when he switched over to the coaching side do that with NHL goaltenders. I think it was Eddie Lack watch him just taking the stick and trying to jam it in there. And the point wasn't like you didn't want to create a goalie who was all tensed up trying to close everything. Like you, you, you weren't, you know, you didn't want to create a goalie that was that was the default. The point was when you do need to go into a block. And there are times where there are points on the ice where you cannot react. You're just trying to get to a spot and close the holes are the holes closed? And that's what they were measuring and that's what they were testing. And like, you know, sometimes it can be as simple as like, hey man, if your hands are behind you a little bit when you drop into that block and they're not in front of the pads layered enough, that stick slides right through there just like a puck can. But if they're if they're in the right position, so like a lot of tinkering and a lot of fine, small details that separated Jaguar and Allaire and a lot of Allaire disciples from everyone else. It was kind of cool to get an insight into that. And frankly, this, no pun intended, this whole interview was cool to get all the insights into that relationship. Uh, a crude form of training compared to what Sensorina and Sensorina VR does right now with the ability to just put on that headset and, and train either for a power play or whether just a warm-up drill or the competition that's taking place right now. I'm top 40. You guys uh, haven't uh, signed on yet, uh, but I am top 40. Uh, there's there's a lot going on with Santorina. Oh, there sure is. So first off, we are still in the middle of their Global Skills Challenge. And uh, this segment sponsored by the LA Kings. So if you get in there, if you get high enough up the leaderboard on this challenge, you have a chance to win some signed merchandise. Most importantly, you can get onto the leaderboard. You can find Darren Millard somewhere in the top 40. I'm guessing it's like mm-hmm. 40.1 and he's rounded up. Uh, no, uh, it's, it's number 40. Is it number 40? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, it was number. That's why I went top 40. So hop, hop in there, folks. Help us out. Get in there. See if he can push Darren down the rankings a little bit. <laughs> I'm hoping that by next week when we record this podcast, we've had enough listeners hop in there that Darren's out of the top 50. So if everybody could help us I'm with gonna that. I'm going to keep trying. I, I've done it a couple of times. I was way down the first time, and then I got out to top 40. So I'm going to do it the again The only today. thing you got to be aware of is that they don't count your best score in the rankings. They count your most recent score in the rankings. So you got to be careful there, Darren. You got to be ready to improve. As much as we've got that ability to work our skills in the sense arena, and as we referred to earlier in the show, the chance to get in there and learn some things about systems with the different power plays uh, that are available in there as well. Um, there's something that ties into what we were just talking about with Jiggy as well. And, and there's that opportunity to review the saves that you've just made, not only from your perspective, but from the shooter's perspective as well. It um, Sense Arena does an awesome job of replicating what we do on the ice, giving you a chance to see and track pucks and track shots. 
But I think the real strength of it that we're going to see, um, well, we do see now and we will see continued innovation from Sensorina is the ability to do things that we can't do on the ice. And, and that chance to review your shots and see the saves that you've made. Maybe my hand wasn't in the position I thought it was. Maybe I wasn't covering the net the way I thought I was. Maybe my box control wasn't what it should be. Um, that is something that other goaltenders simply don't have access to uh, without Sense Arena. So uh, folks, get onto the Sense Arena site. Um, give it a go. See what you think. We know from NHL goaltenders, from minor goaltenders, from junior goaltenders, that this is an absolutely in, invaluable tool. We've seen one of, the, uh, one of the goalies for Team China at the Olympics in quarantine ahead of the Olympics working on a Sense Arena. Um, this is a tool unlike anything the game has seen and something that needs to be in your tool, toolbox for, as a goaltender if it possibly can be. I guarantee you, I can tell you one guy who's benefited from Sense Arena lately because he helped us with our webinar explaining how he uses it as an NHL goaltender. And our guy, Eric Comrie, just went seven weeks and one day between starts in the NHL. Seven weeks. Last start was here in Vancouver on December 10th. He started uh, yesterday, so January 29th, in St. Louis against the Blues behind a Jets team missing a ton of regulars on the back end. Stopped 28 of 29 for the dub. Beat the hottest goaltender in the NHL, Billy Huso, at the other end. And if you've watched our webinar with Eric Comrie, you know damn well that he was using Sensory to help him get through, even though he's in practice, even though he's got those games, to help him get through seven weeks of inactivity. I can guarantee it. Um, so I was just super happy for him and really proud watching him play that game because he played a hell of a game, just really executed. And, and I can't imagine going seven weeks and then into that pressure cooker and being able to play that way. And so good for you, comms. And good for Sensorina because I know he's a loyal user of the program, and I'm guessing that paid off for him last night. Hey, and don't forget, if yeah. you are excited and you want to go give Sensorina a try, uh, when you're checking out, use that code IGM50, IGM, like in Golmag, 50, and uh, you'll save a little bit more as well. And I share mine with my daughter. I do the Sensorina, and she does all the flying games and the lightsaber games and things like that, and we have a, we have a lot of fun. The, the other Darren part, hasn't uh, admitted she's, she's probably sitting at 29 in the global rankings, even though goaltending is she, thing. She did try it yeah. the other day, and she's like, whoa, that came fast. <laughs> um, uh, you can screencast it uh, or yes, to your casting, phone. and your your parent or your coach or whoever can watch along and and talk you through it. That That's a part that uh, I've just discovered recently, uh, a, a training aid. So you can actually have your coach or your uh, parent or somebody uh, – participate with all you the, all the young goaltenders who have sense arena now darren would like to thank you for giving their parents another way to be nagging them while they're training yeah <laughs> the, the parents probably didn't even know until they just listened to this segment now they're going back to the kids <laughs> hang on hang on how can i see what you're seeing i need to tell you how to do this properly <laughs> what's he talking yeah. about uh, it's sense arena sense arena vr presenting our feature interview with j.s jaguer uh, former hartford weather almost 600 career games in the national hockey league uh, parts of 17 years, and he's hanging out with David Hutchison on Ingoal Radio, the podcast. My guest today played 16 seasons in the National Hockey League, 597 games, and most importantly, I think, or most notably, won the Conn Smythe Trophy and the Stanley Cup in different years. 
and uh, also has a world championship gold medal under his belt. Today, we'd like to welcome J.S. Jaguer. Welcome to the Ingle Radio Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. How are you doing? Uh, wonderful. Thank you, J.S. Good. You know, before we get into your career and maybe a little bit about the game today as well, why don't we uh, just go back right to where we like to with a lot of guys and where did you get your start in net? Why did you want to strap the pads on in the first place? Well, uh, I think there was a few reasons. Uh, one being that I was the youngest of five kids. Awesome so, story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had no choice, but uh, if I wanted to play with them, I had to be a goalie. There you go. Uh, but, you know, I don't think that was necessarily the main reason. I think overall, uh, you know, I think the equipment intrigued, intrigued me, the mask, the, you know, the goalie pads, the goalie gear. As, yeah. you know, most goalies, we all love that stuff. And uh, growing up in Montreal, uh, you know, I think later on when I was maybe seven or eight, having Patrick Crow as a role model really helped me wanting to keep going. So what was it you liked about Patrick? And, and obviously since then you've had a chance to meet him, I'm sure. What, what, what's that been like? Uh, no, it's been great. Uh, well, Patrick, uh, obviously, uh, he was my uh, coach the last year I played and, of course, and, yeah. and Colorado. And, uh, that was a very interesting, uh, year for me. It was nice to, uh, and I'd met him a, a few times before. The first time I ever met him, I was 12 years old, going to the Pee Wee tournament in Quebec City. And, uh, you know, he, we had a, I was representing the Canadians, so we practiced with them, and he gave me a stick. Oh, and wow. I played with a stick for the rest of the year and uh, didn't lose one game with that stick. So it was uh, one of those, and I'm so mad because I don't know where that stick is now. Oh, I, no. I wish, yeah, we all I have know. little bits of gear we can't find that we wish we had, hey? <laughs> eh? That's exactly. pretty, pretty special. <laughs> But, uh, you know, to go back to your question, you know, I think, uh, you know, being in Montreal, he, he was the star of the team. He had, a, you know, an attitude that went with his game that was, you know, that was something that uh, you wanted to have, that confidence that is really hard to gain. You know, being able to say something or being able to do something and then back it up with a performance. Uh, that's, you know, the type of player he was. And that's the type of player that uh, you, you'd like to be, uh, you know, uh, growing up. And of course, there's a, a thread that ties the two of you together, and that would be your goaltending coach, Francois Allaire. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. no, a good, good thread there. And I, you know, obviously, uh, when I was young, I used to go to Frankie's goalie school, him and his brother, uh, Benoit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they, they were above everybody else, you know, in the world, as far as uh, teaching goaltending. And, uh, uh, and I'm, I'm just going to do a sidebar here. I, I, you know, uh, Frankie is now retired, works a little bit for the, uh, you know, Florida Panthers, uh, right. helps out a little bit there. But, uh, I, you know, I hope to God one day that he's going to get into the Hall of Fame. I think oh, that was one uh, of my questions. So please tell yes, us about that. Sorry. Yeah. Such a shame that he hasn't been talked about. And uh, it's in my to-do list for 2022 to try to talk to people and try to promote him because uh you know you don't see uh, you don't hear about goaltending coach you know your goalies know about them and, and stuff like that but the rest of the hockey world don't it, you know they're not that important around him and uh, but what he did he's changed the game uh you know uh, all the goalie plays all they move around the net mostly and uh, uh it's been changed forever and it, we, he's been doing this for the last 30 35 years and I used to go to a hockey school and, uh, you know, you wanted to play like Patrick Hawaii. Uh, I was lucky enough to have those schools, those goalie schools right there in my backyard. So it was nice to, to be able to meet him and, and, and 
uh, you know, do whatever he was teaching. Every year around Hall of Fame selection time, we make the point publicly that we think he should be there. And I know my partner, Kevin Woodley, is, is leading that charge, uh, yes. you know, on our side for sure. And, and there need to be more people like you. Shockingly, I know when he's approached a few people about it, the response has been, well, we've never considered assistant coaches. But he's no assistant coach. Yeah, he's no assistant coach. I, I think he's a, a specialist in what he did. He's, he's uh, <laughs> you know, it's a boys club a bit, the Hall of Fame. And uh, we need to try to break that barrier a little bit and, and think outside the box a little bit. And, you know, if you haven't considered assistant coach, maybe it's time to do it now and, and see what some of those guys have done. And, and uh, there is no doubt in my mind that Francois and Benoit as well uh, help change the way the game is played. And, and uh, uh, it still to this day, whatever Frankie is teaching is up to date, even though he's retired. You know, there's you know, things that have changed here and there, but he, he's, you know, we're, we're still teaching how to move and uh, how to recover the way that he saw it, you know, 35, 40 years ago. So it's, it's pretty impressive. Well, let's make a mental note maybe to pick this conversation up again when the time is right for the Hall of Fame to be Absolutely. making some decisions and, yeah. <laughs> and, and get your point out there again. But can you talk to me more about uh, Francois' uh, importance to your specific career and, uh, and, and your growth as a goaltender? Well, uh, you know, there is no doubt in my mind uh, that I would not have been in the NHL. Uh, you know, I played in the NHL before I met Frankie. Mm-hmm. fully in them before I worked with him, but I, I don't think I would have had the, the career you, 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 you said you know, at the beginning of the podcast. So uh, meeting Frankie really changed my life. Uh, it was in uh, July of 2000, uh, July 1st exactly. I, I uh, you know, got traded to uh, Anaheim for a second round pick. And, uh, you know, right away got a call from Frankie and he wanted to meet me the next day at his house. And, uh, uh, I was like, yeah, sure, that'd, that'd be great, and got to meet him, and he showed me a, a VHS tape. You know, of all, all <laughs> we'd he, have to translate he, what that is for a lot of our yes, listeners, exactly. <laughs> but uh, a video, and all you wanted me to play, you know, and uh, all and every little details of the game, everything that uh, happens in the game, whether it's a two-on-one or whether it's a breakaway or uh, a guy coming from the corner, uh, power play, and all that, everything was on it. And and uh, he had who, who, an answer. Sorry, who was who was on the tape? Who were you watching uh, mostly? There was a bunch of goalies uh, all around. There was it was Patrick. It was Marty Brodeur. Uh, it was uh, uh, I don't know Mike Richter. It was yeah. you know okay. a, a bunch of those those guys that were playing in those days. And uh, you know some of them were doing good stuff. Some of them were doing bad stuff. You know he could show me Marty Brodeur doing a bad stuff, and I was like, <laughs> oh, "Really? You show me?" Well, he could also show me Marty Brodeur doing something good too. So, no doubt. Uh, and and I got out of that meeting with him after maybe an hour, an hour and a half, and everything just like, "Whoa, this is what like, yes, this is so easy. This is exactly how I want to play." You know, so it was a relief for me. Like I I finally had a guidance of where I wanted to go and something that Calgary didn't necessarily give me for three years, the three years I was there. And, and that excitement in, were you thinking, okay, we've got some work to do. This is going to be a, did you think it was going to be a natural transition or a, a lot of hard work to make this happen? Probably thought it was going to be easier than how it, <laughs> it went because, uh, you know, right away he told, he told me, he's like, he, you know, next week, next weekend I have a thing with, uh, junior goalie, right. And, uh, why don't you come and you can, 
do the demonstration, you know, I'll show what to do, what the drill we're doing. And then you can go do the drills with the junior kid. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, it'd be easy. You know, it'd be a nice little hour and a half. <laughs> wow. <laughs> not so was much. Was I wrong? Oh, no, no, not so much. It was one of the hardest days in my life. And it was uh, uh, one of those that, uh, you know, he, he was beat mad after, like red, like, you know, I had a meeting with me. He's like, this is unacceptable. You're out of shape. You're not ready. Like, if you want to be in the NHL, there's no way that this, you know, you got to work much harder than that. And this is when I decided to finally hire a conditioning coach and, and uh, hire Stefan Zubé, uh, which at the time was with the Canadians uh, as well. And, uh, you know, I still to this day work out with Steph Zubé, you know, three times oh, wow. a week because he's also changed my life, you know, in the way that I worked out and the way that I, I uh, approach my physical uh, well-being. So, uh, you know, in, in spending a week, week and a half, you know, everything has changed for me and uh, for a much better life. Was it easier? No, it was <laughs> a lot harder, believe me, but it was uh, also made it much more enjoyable. So that experience with the junior kids and, and Francois's response to you might be an interesting way if you were just to expand on it a bit, um, to explain to people that he was so much more than he, and I dare say you were accused of being, you know, just block, just block, but that's not what it was. And that's not what made you special. Uh, what what no, can no, you tell us yeah. about that? Oh, Frankie, he, he was always well-prepared. You know, he was, he was, uh, we did, uh, every time we'd go on the road, we had a, a video session and it was, you know, we, we, we went over what the other team would do. Uh, we went over what we wanted, what kind of response we wanted to do, um, you know, as well as off ice, he made sure that, uh, you know, I was ready and prepared and, and uh, he, he was always looking for something else, you know, always looking for, you know, something new and equipment and uh, every week we'd make sure that, you know, he'd come to me, he's like, is your, your equipment right? Is it, you know, oh, is it stiff? Is it ready to go? Is it? starting to get beat up a bit and we, we tested out me and him make sure that everything was good. So he was much more than just a technical goalie. It was, uh, and he adjusted to my body too, because the reason I became such a block goalie is because my hips are, are horrendous. You know, I'm, I have no flexibility okay. and, and there's nothing I could do about that. So, but I was always willing to push and, and be at the right spot and, we, me and him adjusted to the way I could play and how I wanted to play and how he wanted me to play. And, you know, if you look at the way, let's say, Simeon Valarmov played, uh, especially when he was in Colorado and we had Frankie together, he wasn't playing exactly like I was. You wouldn't teach a guy that's as flexible as Varley uh, to, you know, to do a block like me. It, it would make no sense, you know. But you were more than a blocker. I mean, it took athleticism to be there and to be ready. It took hard work. You know, yeah. it took a lot of hard work. And, and uh, athletic-wise, if you compare me to the rest of the NHL or to the rest of the goalies in the NHL, I'm definitely not above anybody else. You know, I was probably average as far as being athletic. I mean, I, don't ask me to hit a golf ball. I can't do it. Don't ask <laughs> me to play basketball. You know, you'll laugh at me. I can't skip rope, but I'm always willing to work hard and retry and retry and retry until, until it works. And uh, with Frankie, I mean, thank goodness he wasn't there full time. You know, he was, he was only part time. <laughs> and, and I mean, the, the part time that he was there, the two weeks a month, it was it was hard. It was really hard. And we stayed and stayed after. And uh, often I'd see Timu 
Celani, you know, leaving the rink and he'd shake his head like, what are you guys doing? And he was ready to go play golf. And we were just on the ice working and getting extra work. And But this is what I needed to get better, you know, and to be better. And I there was always a fine line with me with not working enough or working, you know, that, that line was very fine. If I didn't do enough, it showed right away in games because I didn't have the athleticism of, you know, let's say a Marty Burder. I had to do extra work and I had to do a lot of it to make sure that my game was 100%. Every, everything started in practice for me. And if I didn't have a good practice, you knew that I was in trouble for the games coming up. Well, full credit to you for for doing all that work. Aside from hard work, though, what do you think made you a special goaltender? And what do you think made you successful? It's hard to talk about you that way. But I, I think that, you know, the fact that I was willing to work, that's probably reason number one. You know, I think he, if you want to be successful and go achieve your your best potential, you have to work. I think but you have to work well at it, too. You got to make sure that what you do, you do it for a purpose. You can just work, you know, and that sometimes when I see other goalie coach work with their goalies and stuff like that, and I've had other goalie coach too, it seemed like you're doing drills just to do drills, just to do a cardio or do work. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe in that. I think each drill should be tailored to something that's going on in your game right now or something that will happen during the games that happens often and stuff like that. Like, you know, you could work on a wraparound. I don't care what you work on, but make sure you do it perfectly well every time and that you, you you don't leave any details the details were you know frankie's very like he's very good at details making sure that uh, the details are right but as a goalie you have to be willing to do those details and those details take time and work and and uh, so that in a game it just comes out natural and uh, so i was always willing to do that you know make sure that uh, you, you know i put the extra time to 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 be detail oriented when I think part of being good is, you know, you got to be able to probably in crucial situation, crucial time and playoff in overtime, this when you got to be at your best. This, and it's got to become, it's got to be natural. This is when you're going to see the best, like the difference between, uh, you know, a good goalie and a very good goalie. And I think, you know, when it came down to playoffs and stuff like that, I think this is why I had success. I worked hard at it all year. I was prepared for it, but when it came down to make the big saves, I, I wasn't nervous. I knew I was ready, and I, you know, it's some people call it the it factor. I, I think I had, you know, some maybe not the best at that, but I had it in me uh, for the most part. Yeah, well, the results speak for themselves, and I mean, you, <laughs> you brought up overtime yourself. Was it seven or eight overtime wins in a row? Uh, so, something that I don't, I don't remember. But let me tell you, uh, go back to Frankie again. Yeah. Uh, the first time I met him, July 2nd of 2000, the first thing he said to me, and I, I was like, I, you know, I thought he was crazy, but first thing he said is we're going to win a Stanley Cup together, you know, if you do this. Perfect. And then started showing me that tape. But he was convinced that we'd win a cup. And he was convinced that that's the first, he, and he always talked to me about winning a cup. That was always like his purpose is to go all the way. And he, he'd tell me, he's like, you know, the minute the team's going to be ready, you'll be ready. So, because we had, you know, when I first got to Anaheim, like we, we, we had a terrible team. We had a team, like we finished last and it was like, you know, it was a, that's all I got, you know, a, a chance to play there is, you know, combined with the fact that I was playing well in the minors, the team was so bad upstairs that they finally traded guys and 
you know, gave the young guys a chance. That's all right. you get, you know. And I was ready for that. And he kept telling me, when the team is ready in, in, uh, to make the playoff, you'll be ready. And I never really believed him, but I was. There's no doubt. Yeah, for sure. That's that. I mean, that's one of those mental skills things we hear people talk about all the time. You have to have that clear picture of where you're headed. Uh, so yeah, Frankie yeah. was a bit you of a mental a skills goal. coach then I mean, too, wasn't he? No, no, he was really good at that. You know, and uh, I, he never really like, he didn't play, he wasn't a psychologist and he never tried, but he knew that if I was well prepared, things would go well, you know, and I always believe in that when I needed extra work mentally because every goal he does eventually you know you got to go see other people and he'd suggest that and then, you know why not try to go see a psychologist sports psychologist yeah so like he knew me well you know at the end of the day we had uh, you know a great relationship and we still do and and uh you, you know it was a it was a very special uh you know we we, we worked 13 years together and never you know had an argument or anything like that we're always agreeing all we wanted to work together Never had an argument except maybe that red face day after the first skate with the junior kids. Well, yeah, you know, and I think it was, uh, I'm glad he was mad, you know, and he, yeah. he just, uh, you know, I deserved it because I, I couldn't keep up with the junior kids, you know, and, and by then we're, you know, going into the second week of July in the summertime, uh, you know, you should be, you know, if not at the top of your shape, you should be starting to, you know, uh, feel really good, you know, mm. usually like, this is when you push the hardest in July. And uh, I wasn't even close to that. So uh, I, I needed to get myself together, you know, get some help in that department. And I did. And I'm sure glad I did. Those overtime games was, I mean, aside from just knowing you're prepared, is there is there something different about, I mean, you're also known just for playoff success in general, but what's different about the playoffs and and being able to go through that grind of the playoffs and a seven game series and Sometimes it's two games in one night with those five overtime <laughs> games. Uh, yeah. H- how do you get through all that? I don't know. I mean, you can't think, you know, you just got to go and play, you know, it, it's like going into an exam at school, you know, a final or whatever. If you, if you're prepared for it, you go in being confident, you go in, not worry about the final result because it should go your way. You know, you did your work. And, and uh, I always told myself, you know, facing the other goalie, I knew that if I didn't make mistakes, he would make one eventually, you know, and I would just try to be very good technically, try to make the first save. We always, you know, worked on making the first save. And, and it seemed the more the overtime went on, the easiest it got because it just, the players just got tired and right. uh, the shots were just, you know, so, and, and in the back of my head, it was always like, don't give up that soft goal. <laughs> like, you know, don't, <laughs> don't give up that softy. But uh, that's tough to have that overall, in the back of your head. Yeah, yeah, always. But anyway, like it's you know, is uh, I think just being prepared. You, you, you can't think though. You know, you just got to play, do your game, and eventually you're just confident. You're really in that zone in that moment. It's an interesting sort of dichotomy you've brought up because you talked about all those details and all that hard work with uh, Frankie, and then yet having to just turn it off and stop thinking when it's time to perform. And I think a lot of young goaltenders probably miss that because they they try and do everything but then they probably bring a lot of that into the game with them as well yes you know if if uh uh i always will remember my first game and in, in the playoff uh it was against detroit and honestly i didn't think we had a chance in hell to, to beat detroit <laughs> you know they had 
you know, the Hall of Fame lineup, eleven Hall of Fame, like eleven Hall of Fame players, and they they were they were just really good. And uh, so I I just went in there, like you know, we we Frankie had told me, you know, the minute you're you're the team's going to be ready to make the playoff, you'll be ready. And I always kept just telling me that, you know, like because I really believed in what he said, and and so I'm like, you know, I, I've worked hard, I I know that. I've done the work. I've done the practices. So I know I'm ready. I know I'm ready. But they scored the first five minutes. It was one nothing. They came out hard. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a long night. <laughs> and we were on our heel and stuff like that. And I just like, okay, just like forget about it. Just like keep going, keep going. Try to make the next save. Try to make the next save. Try not to give the next goal. And I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. They kept shooting and shooting and shooting. And, and you know, ended up being a 2-1 win. And it was just like one of those unbelievable game but you're you're i think i was just because i was really physically and my technique was really at its best mentally just took care of itself you know when i had met with some psychologists prior to all that and make sure that my game was right and mentally i think that's important to do like we, we work a lot on on the physical aspect of the game but you got to also work on your mental aspect and make sure that that part is well taken care of because you need to be able to get into your bubble to be, to be able to get into your, your zone before a game. And, uh, you know, I had worked with some psychologists prior to getting to that, but like we always said, I was going to be ready when the team was ready. And I was, you said you were physically ready for that game, but you can't be physically ready for playing five overtimes in one game. What was that experience like? It was hell. That was absolute, absolute hell. And, <laughs> uh, Dallas is not my favorite rink. It was, um, I'm a guy that sweats a lot, you know, I'm right. a very heavy, heavy sweater. And, uh, when you go to Dallas, it's, it's humid, it's hot. It's a big building. It's hot in the building. It's like they have a hard time getting it to a, a temperature that's acceptable for hockey, especially with the humidity there. So you're just putting on your gear and you're sweating, like everything, you know, you're always sweating there. And started the game, and I think I had a really strong game. To you know, I think it was a three-three, if I don't mistake myself, or something like that, to to go to the overtime. But uh, at that point, I felt confident that if I just stay deeper in my net a little bit, cut down the mistakes, things will go my way, and try to make sure that you know he's eventually going to make a mistake. You know, he's, he's. I knew that you know Marty Turco was very athletic. And, and uh, yeah, unbelievable goalie, good reflexes and stuff like that. But technically, I knew I had an edge on him. Uh, he had many other edge on me, but I knew technically I had an edge on him. And I'm like, I'm just going to be as good as I can be technically and just not make a mistake till he makes one. And, and uh, anyway, but it was, it was hard. And uh, by that time, I knew myself pretty well. Like we, after, as soon as we go to overtime, uh, I'd get a bag of uh, IV in me, make sure that I would recover faster because you couldn't, you can't keep drinking. Like the liquid just doesn't come in. It like only it's absorbs just your so fast. Just, yeah. Exactly. So, uh, you know, when you, when you, you put an IV in you, it just goes right through you. And when it goes like right into your muscles and stuff like that, it's a great feeling when you're hot and tired. So, uh, and I don't know if you ever had an IV from a doctor, but they don't yep. know what they're doing, right? They're usually it's 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 the the nurse that does it. 
So we had our team doctor there. Yeah, I had blood everywhere. I was like, oh, covered no. in blood. <laughs> anyway, but it was it was uh, it, it was funny. But what we ended up doing is just leave the IV in there. Like we we leave the tube, just tape it so that it would be faster. You know, after when you come in, just connect right away and put the IV in. And uh, but by the time we got to the fifth overtime, even though we had all done these things, I couldn't I couldn't speak. Like I usually I'd take off my gear and know to cool off and stuff like that and i tried to put it back on and all my fingers and my jaw was was cramped i couldn't speak to to tell my trainer to come and help me and everything i'd move would cramp wow. and i'm like gosh it's like this is the worst feeling right now like I, I i don't know that i can keep up like going in this game so when i briz Galov was sitting beside me i'm like briz like get ready get ready and he was like he came like he was as white as a sheep like probably had a <laughs> you know, a pizza to himself, you know, between periods and <laughs> like, did not want to go in like, and I, you know, I wouldn't want to go in there. You've been on the bench for five hours. Like the last thing you want to do. So, uh, and thankfully we scored, you know, 30 seconds into that period. And I was like, Oh, what a relief, but what a terrible feeling that, that game. I, I would never want to do that. I wouldn't wish that to my worst. <laughs> but still something to be incredibly proud of. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know. You brought up Briz, I have to ask. Like, is he the same behind closed doors as that public persona that we all see? Yeah, Briz is very interesting. He's very, uh, he's a fun guy to be around. You know, he's, uh, you know, he's a good natured guy. Like, he, pressure doesn't necessarily get to him. He, he, he likes to have fun. He's probably a bit misunderstood with the head coach and stuff like that because. He doesn't always look like he's taking the game seriously, but I, he did, you know, like mm -hmm. he wanted to be the best he could, but he, he also, he also wanted to keep it like, he, he felt there was too much pressure sometimes and he just wanted to have fun. There was always that language barrier with him where like, it was hard sometimes to express really how he felt, you know, and stuff like that probably. But, uh, you know, I really enjoyed him and he, you know, like he, he, he had so much talent, like it was amazing how much talent he had. Yeah. And uh, it was a shocker that he didn't push me out of Anaheim uh, the, the year that my last year of my contract in 07 before we won the cup. That was my last year of contract. And everybody thought, myself included, that that was it. You know, at some point during the season, I would get traded and maybe go somewhere else. But I ended up having the best season of my career. So I was like, eh. you know, and he, he was struggling to keep up with the, what he had done that, the season before. But that was his chance. That, was, that would have been the time that he would have pushed me out and wasn't able to do it. What was your relationship generally through your career with, with your goalie partners? Was it camaraderie? Was it competition? A little bit of both? How did you approach those relationships? Uh, it was, I always wanted to be friends with them. Uh, I, uh, so I, I always had a good relationship with them. I always believed that we were a team within the team. And that, uh, you know, we both wanted the same thing. I always had good backup goalies or goalies that competed against me. So there's nothing I could do with that. It made the team better. You know, there was no doubt about that. But it's only in human nature that we both want to play. So you can, you know, be mad at the guy for wanting to play and for wanting to have, a, a, you know, a, a better career and stuff like that. So uh, I didn't take offense to that and take it personally. And I always encouraged him and try to, you know, and I, oh, I, I always approached the game, and since you know, uh, a goalie coach I met midget AAA. Uh, first thing he, he told me, you know, he brought a puck in the room, and 
it asks all the goalies that were there, you know, in training camp, it's like, you know, who's your enemy? And we're all pointing at each other and like, oh, he's the guy I have to be, he's the guy I have to be. And he had the puck. It's like, this is your enemy. This is who you have to be to make that team. And to me, it made so much sense. And I always applied this, you know? So I didn't worry about what the other goalies did in practice. I didn't worry about, you know, how well they played. There's nothing I could do. I didn't control that. I, I tried to control making saves and stopping pucks. And I knew that if I did that, I was good enough to be a number one goalie. Does that evolve over your career from that relationship or your approach to it from when you're, you know, trying to make your way in the league versus now you're established versus now you're sort of in the later years of your career and the young guys are coming up to push you? It evolved a bit, uh, mostly at the end of my career when I was in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point, I did not want to be the number one goalie. I wanted to be a backup and I was very comfortable with that position. My body couldn't take, you know, 50, 60 games right. a year. So, and I told uh, Varley right away when I first got there, I'm like, they got me here to help you be a number one goalie. So don't ever think that I want your job. Don't, you know, it, it's, I'll play two or three games in a row if they ask me to, because that's my job, but mm-hmm. it's not because I want to play 10 in a row. Believe me. So if I do that, I'll make sure that you practice well and that you're on top of your game when you come back, because that's your job. That's, that's why they are in me. And I didn't want him to ever feel the pressure of me wanting his job. And I, I, you know, that's, that was the difference between before that, whether I was in Toronto or Anaheim or Calgary, but mostly Anaheim and Toronto is I wanted to be the number one guy. And I always push for that but never being mad at the other goalie. Like it, it, it was never their fault. They were just doing their job. And, sure. uh, you know, my job was to make saves. If I didn't make any saves, that was my fault. Anybody in those partnerships over the years you were particularly close to or maybe still in touch with? Not necessarily in touch right now, but yeah, like I, you know, like uh, I, James Reimer, you know, is texting me a few times and, and stuff like that. And uh, Varley, like, you know, if I see those guys, we all have a good relationship. Jonas Siller as well. Yeah. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I always, that was a priority for me. You know, I couldn't live with not being able to talk to you. I've heard of goalies not talking to each other and competing with each other. And I, I'm like, I couldn't live like that. This is, makes no sense. And uh, we, you know, my son was a 14 years old goalie. Uh, I, you know, make sure that he's best friend with the goalie and his team, whoever it is, you know, and, and, because I think that's important. You both want the same thing. So just embrace that and then move on and try to, you know, I think the fact that I always had good goalies behind me probably helped me, though, like it pushed me. Human nature that, you know, if the backup goalie is not very good, you might, maybe you'll, you'll take shortcuts or something. I, I like to believe I wouldn't have done that, but, uh, you know, they always had good backup goalies. I always had to work hard anyway to get my eyes done, that's which good. was fine by me anyway. Yeah, yeah, and that relationship is important. Well, you brought up your Absolutely. son. Uh, what's it like being a goalie dad now? Uh, it's hard. It's hard. Like uh, I don't find it hard in in the sense that uh, games that are just regular season game. Like I, you know, I'm not too nervous. But you go to tournaments and you get like finals and stuff like that. You know, there there's nothing you can do. You know, you you, you taught him how to play, but then he has to do it on his own. You know, at some point, and it's hard to sometimes. Uh, 
take your hat off and just let them go. And you know what I mean? So, but it's, 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 it's been fun. You know, he's very receptive of all I want him to play. So if you coached him all along, I coached him all along, except this year, I kind of stepped aside a bit. I am still coaching his team assistant coach, but I'm not necessarily coaching the goalies. Uh, we, we, we have some goalie coach in our organization that do a good job. And I think at some point you need to let them go a bit and hear somebody else talk and, and, uh, you know, see, I try something new too, you know, because it can't only be my way. It has to be, he's got to find what he likes. And, uh, but it's been, uh, it's been fun. Now we're, you know, at a, age that he's thinking like okay well what's next you know we're we gonna go prep school we're gonna try this try that like uh so uh it's a bit nerve-wracking we don't know where to go and it's all new to us but it's it's uh it's been a fun go i understand exactly what you mean even having been yeah. through the position it's everything is still new it's it's very strange yeah it's very strange yeah uh any advice for other goalie parents out there uh, i mean First of all, you got to let your kids have fun. You know, this is, it's a game and they should never feel the pressure of performing except the, the pressure they put on themselves because they want to, you know, it's obviously they, they want to perform like that. They, they, you know, no goalie would want to just give a softie or stuff like that. So you, you, your sole job as a parent is to bring them to the rink and let them have fun. That's it. And if he wants more you can try to find them more ice and stuff like that but it has to come from the kid you can't push you can't push that down their throat and and you know make them skate all summer and think that that's that's the key of them getting better you know they gotta want that they gotta it's gotta become from them and i when my kid was seven eight nine years old i mean he didn't care much about hockey he played but you know he liked it but then you know like And the, the passion just came on its own. You know, if the kid has passion, he'll want to get better. But I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I see some parents are so tense and they're so uh, relaxed, <laughs> encouraged, have fun. If he falls, that's good. He's only going to get better. You got to fall to be better. You got to, like, you got to lose. You got you to give bad goals to not to see what it's like to not want to give them again. You know what I mean? So you got sure. you to just encourage your kid and have fun. That's it. You know what I mean? It's his journey. It's not yours. And I always tell him, nobody's going to remember the score of that game three years from now. Nobody knows your Absolutely. record in you 14 hockey. Just <laughs> go out there and have fun and let the next day take care of itself. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, like uh, I... I You know, he, he's asked me, he's very passionate. So this makes it easy. You know, we can talk about hockey all the time. And he knows my philosophy starts in practice, you know. And um, unfortunately, last year, we didn't play one game. You know, it was, no. it was you know, terrible. But he practiced all year and never, you know, missed a beat. You know, he practiced hard every day. And like, well, we practiced three times a week. And it was very impressive. Like, I was impressed. Like, I, I would have cracked at some point. You know what I mean? And he never did. It was very yeah. impressive. And just because he likes it, you can't, right. you can't force a kid to like it. You just got to hope that he does. And if he doesn't, well, that's not a big deal either. Yeah. I would say the same thing from our experience was I just couldn't believe the focus from the entire team. I mean, these kids are 13, 14 years old and 
pushing themselves for an entire season of no games. It's uh, oh, credit it, to them. Yeah, it was. Yeah, good, good for them. Like it was, a, it was a hard year, even for the coaches and stuff. Like, you know, I, I when you get to February and all you've done is practices, it's it's hard to stay motivated. But keep it fun. You know, it was better than than uh, than than. And the other option, which a lot of other teams didn't practice, we were lucky. We're a school program, so they 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 made like a, a, a bubble, you know. So then that was for that we were able to practice. But my gosh, we we had a week or two that we, they couldn't practice, and we had five or six emails from the teachers that they were just complete animals in the in the class. So <laughs> they needed they needed to move. <laughs> they do for sure. It's so important. Yeah. At what age did you have a goaltending coach? Uh. You know, I, I had parents, I guess, when I was young, yeah. here and there, parents that coached me and you, you get some from them, you know, they, uh, you know, bits and pieces here and there. And my dad always made sure I, I went to one hockey school every summer, you know, so uh, especially when I got to 11, 12 years old, it was Frankie's goalie school, you know, uh, so I do that. You learn a lot. That week was very important. And then Midget Triple A is really when I first got my first goalie coach mm-hmm. uh, that was there full time and that was really knowledgeable. He was more, he was really good mentally, that coach, and taught me a lot of good little stuff that I used throughout my career. Because I was, I was just thinking as we were, I was preparing for this that I get the feeling that when I speak with goaltenders who grew up in Quebec, that maybe they had a coach a little bit earlier than goalies from other areas. And I wonder if that fed into some of the success of the Quebec-based goaltenders. I mean, obviously, the role models of Patrick yeah. and Martin and those guys is so important. But but I feel like uh, maybe there was a, a bit more technical development early in your careers as well. Is that oh, fair to say? Yeah. My generation, we all went to the same hockey school. We all learned from the same guys. You know, and and a lot of goalie coach learned from Frankie too, watching him reading his books. Mm-hmm. And stuff like like that, and, you know, books that he wrote in French, so you know that nobody else had access to. <laughs> so, yeah. it, you know, what I mean, so we we had yeah, we had goalie coach, and that was an an important like Frankie was very popular in early nineties in Quebec. As far as you know, he was often in the papers. He, he was talked about. Everybody knew who he was, uh, and not many NHL team at that point had goalie coach. So that was very important here. Uh, I think it helped a lot of us, you know, plus you put that with the fact that there was a good role model, you know, that, that helps a lot too, because it makes young kids with talent wanting to be goalie. Yeah, you know, yeah, you, for sure. you, you, you could put anybody in net and if they don't have any talent at some point, it's not going to come up to be an NHL goalie, you know oh. I mean? but we, we had, you know, I think we had a few factors like that. And eventually, Frankie brought his hockey school to Europe, right? He brought his schools in Finland, in Sweden. Uh, he went to Czech. Uh, you, you know, like he, he brought, like he added in France, I think, in Swiss too, a lot mm-hmm. in Swiss. So, uh, you know, why do you think there's so many Swiss goalies that came out eventually? The Jonas Seller and the, the Gerber and stuff like that. Because they all went to his hockey school, Frankie's mm-hmm. hockey school. They all mm-hmm. knew him. So, and he, he's developed a bunch of goalies, coach from there. And that eventually, you know, they try other things and they try their stuff. And, you know, they like in I know in Finland, like they they integrated the way that they think the game too. And uh, so in the early 90s, I think Quebec 
goalies had maybe an advantage. We don't, we no longer have that. Like it, you know, that's gone. There's good goalie coach with great ideas everywhere around the world. Thank God, because, you know, it makes the position just that much better. Yeah. Yeah. Much better. And that much more interesting for all of us. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on balancing the, the technical development and then just allowing them to be athletes? Uh, when they're younger and, and I, I might've sort of led you down that path by talking about having coaching at an early age, but, uh, there seem to be sort of two camps of those that are happy to have young kids get good technical instruction and others who say, just let them play and we'll teach them later. Being athletic is, is like, it's, it's uh, so important. Like it's, yes. it's probably the main thing, you know, you can't, you can play on a high level and not being able physically to, to, to keep up. You know, what I have a hard time with the people that are saying that is that there is still a foundation to be to be taught. There's still a way to be able to move. Uh, it would be like just letting a forward go and skate. Oh, let him skate. We'll teach him later. Go play shooting for 14 years. When, yeah. Yeah. You got to teach them when they're young. You know, the, the technique of skating and the, the edges work and stuff like that. And the more, the younger you teach them, the more agile they come. and uh and and yeah there's a part of it you just gotta let them play and you gotta let them do their things but you also have to have some sort of rules and some sort of like guidance that you can give them otherwise to me you're just gonna get lit up and it's not gonna be fun so i think that i've never like obviously i'm i'm more of a technical goalie like that's obvious it's always been my thing you know Mm -hmm. but I, I see some goalies that want to be athletic and, and I, there's one in particular I can think of. I won't tell you who it is. It's not fair to him, mm-hmm. but he's a young goalie that I, I taught a little bit when he was growing up in the, in the queue and he's, he's now trying to make his name in the NHL. And I just see all the mistakes that he makes are so easy to correct, but he wants to keep that, that like that athletic side to himself. Except when you get to the NHL, it's just that stuff doesn't necessarily forgive you. The, the athletic side should come out when you really need it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a forward goes one on one against a, a, a D, you know, in the NHL. And you have, you know, a bunch of room on your right that, you know, you, if you skate and you keep skating, you'll go around the D and, and you'll be able to figure out, you know, a, a scoring chances. But instead of that, you'll, you know, try your hand and try to dangle and, you know, you'll lose the puck and there's a turnover and there you go. Your end should come out when you need them. You know, when you're stuck in the corner, you have no room, then you, you try your hands and, and, and you know, you, you find a way to dig. But when there's room to skate, you got to use that room to skate. It's, it's, it's a nonsense to me. And you see the kids, oh my gosh, my, and my son's team, like they, they're always wanting to go one-on-one against the D and try to dig in. It makes for a nicer goal. It makes no sense to me. So... Be athletic when you need to be. You know, it's, 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 it's a good thing. Don't lose that. It's very important. But you also have to have some guidance in all the games played. And you can have for one question, you know, I always say like a two-on-one per se, it's a question, right? That, that the other team is get, it's throwing at you. You can have two answers. Two-on-one is, is this is all I'm going to play. It. I'm, I can be like two pads tight one time. And, and it, it has to be, you have to have, Keep it as simple as possible because you're gonna you're gonna lose yourself in doing all kinds of different stuff. Does that make sense? No, it makes all <laughs> the sense in the world, and I agree with you. And it, it, it's interesting 
I mean, my, my poor son was learning technique when he was three years old. He couldn't escape it. But, but I think it's really important to give them time beyond that to then explore that athleticism within the context of some, some basic technique. And I think it, oh, it goes to what you were saying yeah. about the playoffs, right? Like if you don't have that base, you can't then turn your brain off and just go play. No, no, exactly. And the mistakes that you keep making in practice, because you try to be like, oh, yeah, like this old school goalie and stuff like that, they always come out at the worst time. They yeah. always come out in the, in, in the, you know, in the playoff and, and over time, you'll come in and you'll make a mistake that you've just been doing over and over and over again in practice and it comes out. And not every goalie should have the same technique. It should be tailored to your way of playing. Like my technique was tailored to me. I'm not a very athletic goalie. Like I said, I'm very flexible. So I had to have a technique that fit my need. My equipment needed to fit my need. Everything had to be tailored to my the way I played. I wouldn't expect a, a, another goalie to play like me. You know, he has his own need. He has his own uh, strength and, and weakness. So that he has to make sure that he, he plays the way that he want to play. And there's stuff that I did that maybe he doesn't like. Maybe he'd want to play it differently. I, I certainly don't have a problem with that. But if you want to play it differently, Make sure you practice the way you want to play it and make sure that it comes out perfectly when you do it in the game without questioning. Wow. I wish we could talk about this stuff for hours and hours, but I've, I've kept <laughs> you far too long. I, I hope we can no, do this again right. another day. <laughs> um, you're currently a broadcaster at TVA Sports with my good friend, Michelle Godbu, who was kind enough to put us together. Thank you, Michelle. Um, <laughs> yeah. In that role, what do you see is different in the game today? And what might you perhaps have had to add to your game if you were playing today? Uh, well, it's faster. There's no okay. doubt. <laughs> it's, it's way faster. And I think uh, the goalies that stay a little deeper in the net, uh, you know, or, or have more success. And because they're, you know, my philosophy is you have to be between the puck and the, and the net at all times. And I feel like the goalies that are getting in trouble is the one that don't move well. You know, from side to side, up, you know, from corner to the, the, the slot, you have to be able to beat that pass. These are staples that don't change. And I, I feel some of those goalies don't necessarily do it well. Not all of them, guys that do it very well. But I think probably where I would have a hard time today probably would be my size. You know, I'm 6'1". That would be considered pretty small there are days. And uh, you, you have to be pretty freaking good and pretty quick to, to be able to play uh you know at 511 six foot pretty impressive to me so you see uh, sorrows yeah you see sorrows uh, joe bernier you know uh, finds a way to have a good career and mm -hmm. and being a little smaller it's it's impressive to me but you know that means you have to adjust your game to, to your size and make sure that you're maybe a little bit more aggressive but you have to be quicker to be so more you got to be a better skater yeah no exactly you know but to me like you know what i I like is those big guys like Vesilevsky's and stays deep and he's like, you know, relies on his size. He's always in good position, can be athletic when he needs to be. Uh, to me, he's a very complete goalie and uh, he's very enjoyable. I, I love watching him play. Yeah. Anybody else you like watching? Uh, yeah. Well, I got uh, Vesilevsky. I got uh, Shisterkin right now. Yes. It's very impressive. Uh, sure to me and, and yeah, you know, obviously Carey Price, you know, what he did in the playoff last year uh, is impressive. Although sometimes I find he makes mistakes that are 
correctable and he puts himself in trouble, but obviously he has above, you know, average talent, you know, he's he's above and beyond. He's got a superstar talent. So (laughs) uh, he's very impressive to watch play. Um, uh, Thatcher Temko uh, uh, in Vancouver. Out here in Vancouver, Uh, for sure. Yeah, he's, you know, I, I was able to, uh, on Twitter, I think I found that a uh, couple of his practices and stuff that, that he does and really like the way he practice. Uh, you know, you can tell that he's on the details, you know, he doesn't, you know, and even though he's a big goalie and he seems like he has all, all he needs to be successful, he makes sure that his details are well taken care of. And uh, that's important because he, everybody else is good too. So you have to make sure that you're, you're 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 good that way and uh you can tell like i think he's going to the all-star game this year like yep. he's, you know he's, he's hitting his strides gibson and i'm another guy i like to watch uh athletic very athletic uh so i, li- I like guys that are athletic but you know you can't just leave it to the athleticism you have to have some kind of you know technique a way that you want to play a foundation yeah a foundation all right. Well, it's been far too long, and I'm sorry for keeping you so long, but we'll, no, no we'll leave it at there. Uh, J.S. Jaguar, thank you so much for joining us here at Ingol, uh today, and I hope we'll do it again at some point in the future. Sounds good. Let's do it again when uh, Frankie uh, gets to go in the Hall of Fame or something. Oh, I sensed a bond right away between you and Jiggy on the Hall of Fame campaign for Francois. Like there was, there was two people that came together there, Hutch, uh, and good on Jiggy for, for this campaign to, to get Francois uh, into, the, uh, into the Hall of Fame. So uh, that's awesome. We will continue to, to beat that drum. Uh, he had good mask game. He had good gear game. Uh, there's a lot to love about uh, J.S. Chiguerre. Yeah, I, I, loved every, I loved every minute of that. Look, full credit on the Hall of Fame thing to Kevin Woodley, not to me. Um, I just felt him sitting on my shoulder talking about that as we went into the interview. And, and I, I was afraid if I brought it up that I didn't want to make it about, about Frankie. I wanted to keep it about JS and I, I thought maybe it wouldn't go over well if I went there, but, but Jiggy went there right away on his own, uh, without any prompting. So you can tell how passionate he is about that and about that relationship. So yeah, lo- loved every minute of it. And and for me, you know, I can't maybe come to these interviews the same way you guys can because you bump into them in the locker room all the time. So that ease of being able to chat with a fellow goalie dad, I think made it made it a lot easier for me. Right. Yeah, it was really good. And the one eye opener for me, the IVs, not just the fact that the, having a doctor put it in and being so dehydrated versus a nurse and ending up covered in blood, but the fact it was the default, like they didn't wait till second and third overtime that they actually set up the IV as soon as the game goes to overtime. And of course, we've, we've all, I think we've published stories on Jaguar going to the Gatorade Institute to try and solve his dehydration issues because he was such a heavy sweater. But the fact that as soon as they got to overtime, it's an IV in, and they left the line in for multiple overtimes in case he had, you know, rather than having to do a new IV between periods, they just came in and attached it. Like, imagine playing goal with an IV taped like in your vein and taped into your arm. Like that's bonkers to me, but that's how he was doing it. Yeah. I heard in a couple of places that, uh, the, the bit about him, the, the over sweating that he let talk to, and, and you've mentioned before, um, I've also read that he has issues with absorption of water and that that might be part of it. I think people don't realize, um, that, 
just because you swig it doesn't mean it's getting to where it needs to get to. And, and so he brought that up, I think, a little bit. I loved the image of him covered in blood as they're trying to get this IV into him. But, uh, you know, let, let's just acknowledge for the poor doctor who got thrown a little bit under the bus here that um, when you're severely dehydrated, trying to get that IV in is not an easy thing by any stretch of the imagination. But yeah, what, a, what an unbelievable thing to look at. Playing with an IV in you. like Yeah, and it was just a that, little nubba one, right? Like if you I know. Just, just in case. There's some people out there that probably feel like there's a long tube here wrapped around his back. Well, he doesn't have a, the bag, bag sticking behind him. Or something, but it's just... Yeah, it's it's no, not like no. the people out, out for a smoke in front of the yeah, hospital no. with, the, with the trolley or anything. <laughs> But <laughs> I'm sure somebody's picturing that. No, it's just a little nub that stays inserted and then they still, can connect the bag to that later. But but it's still, still connected. But it's still. still into your like it's into your blood. Like you would like you feel that, right? Like I. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm overreacting because I'm so soft. But like I just, you know, again, even the fact I most guys, I know a lot of guys who had IVs in playoff overtime, but not not like right out of the gate first, like let's make sure we get on top of this right away and keep yeah. on it for every intermission. And just, again, probably shouldn't be surprised because I know that was a major challenge for, for Jiggy and especially in Dallas, as he mentioned with the humidity, but um, man, leaving it in, like I just, that blew me away. Spencer Martin, Woody. Oh, how about the end goal bump on this one? Hey eh, boys, taxi squad. When we interview him on the Friday called up, to be on the backup, be the backup on the bench when Yaroslav Halak tests positive less than 12 hours after the interview before we even published it. And since then, all he's done, Demko goes into protocol. Spencer makes his first NHL start against the Florida Panthers, the league-leading scoring Florida Panthers, no less. Stops 33 of 34, loses in a shootout. Oh, by the way, here you go in shootout. Sasha Barkov, one of the best of all time in the one-on-one with a one-handed like one-handed Olympic, like Forsberg Hirsch, yeah, like craziness. Tests positive the next day. False positive was my understanding, but can't play Sunday against St. Louis. And I can't can't imagine the mental anguish and the frustration of that. Like you know, knowing you have a limited window to get your shot, waiting. Waiting five years since his last NHL game, seventh year pro, a chance he didn't know, and to feel so good about your game and on top of it, and sorry, guy, you can't. We know you might not be positive, but we have to wait 24 hours for a second confirmation test. You can't play Sunday. Doesn't let it phase him, is back on the ice the next day, gets two more starts, uh, plays a really good game against Edmonton, 50 shots. Probably yeah, like amazing. the first, yeah, first goal back for sure. Um, McLeod sneaks one in off the rush from a bad angle. Uh, honest to God, in the three games I watched Spencer play, that might be the only time in three games he missed his entry into the post where he hit skate on post instead of skate inside, boot on post. Like he just barely missed his entry, and that's the hole that cost him. But still, nine more shots in overtime. McDavid and Drysidel buzzing. Gets them, you know, before they finally score with 24 seconds in, in on a two-on-one with McDavid and Nurson. So he, so he's he's got the Canucks points in two games where they didn't deserve them, and he gets one more start on the road against the Winnipeg Jets, and he's sensational again, and he gets his first NHL win. So uh, he's back on the taxi squad now, um, and who knows when the next opportunity comes for Spencer Martin, but there's going to be another opportunity because of how well he showed in this. And I got to just think like the pressure that you could put on yourself 
in you know within yourself knowing how big this opportunity is and not knowing when the next one might come and to deliver in that moment the way he did you know we can talk about all the technical changes he made and he talked about them on the podcast starting in Tampa Bay changing his depth off the rush with Frangine uh and Joe Palmer there to the three stance system with Ian Clark and Curtis Sanford here uh, all the work he put in fifth on the depth chart when he arrives all the way up to NHL games like Tons of credit deserved for the work put in and the changes, but the mental fortitude, we never get to see inside their heads, but you look for signs along the way of how they handle situations. This was a lot tougher situation than I think most people recognize, and he handled it so beautifully. So you just can't help but like, we obviously got to know him through the interview, and you just couldn't help but feel good for, for him for delivering in such a, such a tough moment. I like that Three he was times. busy. That he was busy enough that he got into a groove that you could tell he wasn't thinking, like he was just playing uh, and reacting. That was fun to watch. And the other part was uh, after listening to the interview and then being able to see him play uh, multiple times, oh, tracking that three stance. Uh, like I, I, I found myself paying attention to, oh, that's the one stance, and there he's going lower, and then, now he's into his safe, uh, safe position. So uh, that was that was a really cool aspect of taking the interview and watching it and, and putting it into practical use as you watch them. And watching, you know, I had this conversation with Curtis Sanford earlier in the year because he could see that there was a goalie there and he was in a tough spot. Fifth, like he was third on the depth chart to start the year in the AHL. Like they want, the organization wanted Di Pietro and Siloffs to play. And Curtis was very aware that at that age, this far into his career, like that Curtis or that um, Spencer might be at a crossroads. Like how many more opportunities do you get? Like he he recognized that, there might not be a ton more like this could go the other way and he doesn't get another shot. And so uh, credit to everyone involved for the work put in to make sure he was pr- much like Jaguar talking about you do all the work. So when you're in for the test, you know, well, you feel and, and comfortable and confident. For yeah. Having depth, and, uh, making sure that they had depth there. Yeah. And then, so you just, I mean, it's just one of those stories that it, it worked out really well. And like I said, because of what he did with the opportunity, for a guy who at the beginning of the year, you wondered if he'd get another opportunity, there's more coming for him for sure. Yeah, that's got to be a tough thing though, right? Like you, you have all this success and your immediate reward is back on the taxi squad. Now today back to Abbotsford. That's got to be tough, but I think it's a great lesson for everybody to keep in mind that just stay patient, keep working. Because as Woody said, he's got more opportunities coming now as a result of this work. He's just got to hang in there a little bit longer. And the bling of that mask. The bling of the mask. mask. Great Great mask. mask. Hey, if you go to the front of ingoalmag.com today, though, and you check out the the Henrik Lundqvist article that that Woody put together, reviewing everything we've done with him over the years, um, you'll see a beautiful chrome mask on on Henrik in that that article as well. Uh, One more thing, folks. Just to encourage you to, and we're this is we're pushing the longest episode ever here, but just to encourage people to go to ingolmag.com. Maybe I should have done this at the beginning. Spencer Martin, we got some pro drills with Spencer Martin coming up here in the next couple of days. I'm almost done going through the video. Spent some time with him and Curtis Sanford going over uh, a couple of um, couple of different drills that they were working on. That if you did watch him play, you would see how they've paid off in his game. Um, so look for those coming up in Ingol Mag as well as we take you onto the ice and into the room talking with guys uh, about the work they're doing and showing you the drills that help them have this success. Cam's back. Jiggy. 
Joining us on Ingle Radio, the podcast, uh, along with the co-founders of Ingle Magazine, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. Thanks for listening. Thanks for everybody's contributions to this and uh, good goaltending. And we'll talk to you next week on Ingle Radio, the podcast. <laughs>